Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 453 of Longbox Heroes. Joe and Todd joining you here on this busy comic book day. Todd, how we doing, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. I have in my head all of my podcast pet peeves ready to go to flog myself when I screw up and say them all. I want an official list of all your pet peeves sent to me so I could no, in no way do them on the show and annoy you. You, I'll, I'll come upon one listening to podcasts mm-hmm. and I'll lament about it publicly. And you're really good at hopping right on there with one of the other ones. Okay. So I'm, what, what do you mean? Like I, I do one of them? No, 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 no. Um, I'll listen to a podcast and let's just say, <laughs> we're going to get into the comic books. I promise <laughs> we're only like a minute in, but I, I need to, we're going to get this off my chest. Right. Okay. Because uh, this is an old one. I hate, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. I know okay. that one. Okay, so, yeah, no is like the original. You're talking, yeah. pe- two people are having a conversation, they go through some sort of discussion about whatever their feelings are, and then the person who they're on the podcast with will go, yeah, no, and then just go into whatever they're saying. I know it's a tick, tons of people do it, dozens of people do it, it doesn't make it any less annoying. Okay. So, that's the original. That's the OG podcast pet peeve. Mm-hmm. So I'll go and I'll tweet something out about a new one that I've stumbled upon. And then you'll reply to me by saying, yeah, no. <laughs> okay. So you're aware of them, but I think they're not as prevalent in your mind grapes like they are in mine. <laughs> okay. I'll work on that. I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll comb your uh, old tweets so I can find them all and get them all in one episode. I don't have them. I don't have them hashtagged. I should. Mm. But if you really want a list, I could put a list up somewhere. I want a list. Okay. I'll get working on the list. But first, we got to get working on the show, Todd. <laughs> That's true. Uh, while it is a light news week, I'd say it's two pretty big news stories. I would concur, if you will. Uh, kind of a follow-up on last week's Tom King news, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as the end of an era for real, maybe. Sad emoji. Uh, comic book conventions this weekend, digital sales and freebies. And hey, Todd, I got two bits of news. Well, I got two bits of news. I got two, uh, you know what grinds my gears <laughs> about the uh, digital books this week. You have two pet peeves? Well, not so much as pet peeves. It's just things I want to reference during that segment. Uh, what we read from this past week, uh, which was Doomsday Clock number 10 and Heroes in Crisis number 9. And are they the uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, Wizard of Oz that like you read them together or something? That's right. If you start it at the right time, it all syncs up. Right. Uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, uh, Todd's Art Attack. And, of course, we have the season finale of Cloak and Dagger and the premiere episodes of both DC Universe streaming's Swamp Thing and Amazon Prime's Good Omens. And I got a lot of questions there as well. 
I cannot wait to get to Good Omens. I want to see what you think. Well, you have no choice but to wait because oh. it's the last thing that we do at the end of the show, unless you have you're listening to the show, then you could just fast forward to the end and listen to it then. Right. But you or don't save listen to it. podcast, so you don't know. Or you could save it for another time. I don't know. Right. So news. Last week, big news story. One of the bigger news stories so far in 2019 was Tom King is off the Batman rod. It was postulated that it was going to be this big 100 to 104 issue epic uh, that was going to culminate with the resolution of the Batman Catwoman storyline. Uh, it's ending at the end of 2019. It's not going the full 100 issues, but Tom King is doing a separate miniseries that is going to uh, allow him to wrap that story up. Maybe the reason he's not doing the full run <laughs> as he would like to uh, is because he is getting an opportunity to at least co-write the script for the upcoming New Gods film for DC Movie Studios, Warner Brother Pictures, what have you. Right. To fight with that uh, Eternals movie. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you know, um, two oddball properties from Marvel and DC, they're kind of going head-to-head. I think Eternals is a little bit further along the chain. I think we don't typically talk about the movie or TV stuff unless it's one something big, like movie and new uh, movie and TV, like news, rumors, gossip, whatever. Unless right. something huge, or it directly ties into something that's going on in the comics. And I'd say this does, right? Because it's it. Th- I mean, you'd have to be a fool not to say that it's part of why Tom King is you know doing what he's doing. It's got to affect his writing somehow. So. I do think that's that's it, and I and I like like when you say too like it's you know it's a hundred issue, one hundred and four issue epic. It's kind of sort of still going to be that though, isn't it? Well, it's going to, if we go by the end of the year and this calendar, you know this, um, the rest of two thousand nineteen, it's Batman ships twice a month. Mm-hmm. the 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 last issue that comes out in December is going to be issue I think like 85 86 right. so 10 would get you what 10 because it's going to be a 12 issue Batman Catwoman now do we know that for sure yes they said it's 12 issues okay now see I thought it was only 6 no it's 12 from what I read hmm from last week's notes I think it was even right in the it was right in the the story I don't save the notes week to week, Todd. Oh, I still have the old email. I could look, but uh, but even I heard still it, even if it is twelve or ten, that does run it right around that hundred. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think having it be part of the hundred is a different thing, and I guess maybe with them doing it separately as a mini series and kind of come out, perhaps. Um, you know, all that discussion that happened at MegaCon a few weeks ago was. DC, Warner Brothers, Jeff Johns, whomever coming to him and say, hey, you want to crack the New Gods script, you're going to need it by XYZ, that means you can't finish Batman. Right. Maybe this was their sly way to get him off the book to offer him this other project. And I think it was in conjunction with that around issue 100 would be the epilogue of his story. Wouldn't be the meat, the big fight, because that's what he said. The end of the story is like an eight, like a six issue, whatever, eight issue epilogue. How, like, 
it's not Batman, you know, coming to, you know, fight Bane. It's like the aftermath and the fallout. And who wants that in issue 100? We want Batman busting Joker in the teeth. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't think that's what they want. I think for issue 100, if it makes it, which it should, you know, we're going to have this big Batman issue. We want, you know, bells and whistles, if that makes any. I think it's like, like always, it, nothing's done in a vacuum. You know what I'm saying? Right. So. But I, 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 if he does the, if he does the New Gods movie, I wouldn't be surprised if it's almost his just twelve issue uh, award winning story that they they base it off of. Right, I, I could certainly see it being, um, you know, because obviously New Gods are kind of a wide span, wide spanning thing, but it has to have Darkseid as the villain, and we need some sort of emotional core, some sort of protagonist to follow and who better to be the protagonist in this than Mr. Miracle and Big Barna. Right. And like it you said, they sense. have, yeah. And you have a template already. So you have storyboards, you're ready to go. Right. So if I wasn't interested in new gods movie before I wasn't, I am now. <laughs> I can't believe that Tom King getting me interested in the new gods. Yeah. <laughs> So the other DC news, I guess, maybe even bigger than the Tom King stuff from last week as we just followed up on, is Vertigo done? Could be. There's a I lot mean... of rumor and innuendo that at San Diego Comic-Con in about a month or so, they're going to make some sort of announcement that Vertigo is no longer going to be an imprint going forward. Which now, if... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Which, if true, would make me very, very sad, Joe. Right. Now, old-timers like us, it would make sad, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just sad thinking about it. But there was the relaunch that they did last year that didn't, you know, didn't light the world aflame. There's all those other imprints, Black Label stuff, and we actually, I think, talked even like a week or two ago that like there's been no news on Black Label, there's been no news on any of these other imprints, but just within the last seven days, they announced a whole bunch of those like young adult novels. Like there's a rave, or graphic novels, or whatever they were, because there's the Catwoman one that they did the preview for, for Free Comic Book Day that caused some uproar, because it was like, I guess, things not appropriate in there for like preteens or something, right? Right. To be given away for free without some sort of warning, mature readers, some sort of whatever. Mm-hmm. So that being said, within the last week, there's been a lot more movement on Black Label. There was like some sort of new Harley Quinn that was announced. Uh, Ink and Jet and Flim and Flam and whatever the <laughs> other publishing things are. Right. But we did at least have that that Batman by Scott Snyder three part miniseries with the Joker's head in a jar that came out that last week. That was a, a black label book. It was right, but like there hasn't been any like oh. so it was the damned. Mm-hmm. It was that. And then that was it. Right. And then they announced uh certain trades were getting the black label, like uh Batman White Knight. Right, but it was like nothing new under that imprint because there's that right. new Superman Year One that Frank Miller and John Rome is it Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. that are doing it? I think so. Right, and that's I, is that a black label book? I don't even know. I think it is because it's a Joe. Shocking enough, that's going to tie into his 
they're going to tie that in to his best-selling Dark Knight Returns. I am shocked. I figured they would have kept that as far away from that best-selling <laughs> miniseries as they could. But uh, that's going to be in that universe that year one. So, yeah. but, that, but since Dark Knight Returns is now, isn't the Dark Knight Returns under the black label? Well, I think some of those new printings were supposed to be, but they canceled them all. That is true. We can get into what they canceled. But the thing where we announced all those things that were getting the label like uh, Black uh, White Knight and Dark Knight Returns and all that. Do you remember in there they snuck in that Black Orchid was going to get the black label? Mm -hmm. That the original mini by Neil Gaiman and Dave McDonald. Dave McKean, did he did he draw that? Yeah, that was getting that's a Vertigo book. So I like, and we talk, I think we even discussed it back when when that happened. We're like, what does this mean for Vertigo? Are they going to start sliding stuff over? And I wouldn't doubt if that's you know this news kind of you know jives with that news. And I think they are going to slide some stuff. And also with the whole uh, Mark Russell uh, Second Coming book, you know that getting shunted off. Like Vertigo's a mess. So I I could see them you know, pulling up their tent stakes, if you will. If so, tents still had stakes. For me, well, that's an after dark discussion. <laughs> right. So for me, I think, and I just said one of the things I hate, uh, <laughs> it's it I would I would feel that whoever's currently in charge over at DC doesn't like the Vertigo name because it's not theirs. Probably Black label is theirs. Ink is theirs, and all those other things are theirs. Vertigo is however many regimes ago. Right. It's old. It's out of date. What does it even mean? What's the attachment to it? When's the last time there was a success from it? When they do a TV show or a movie or something based on one of those properties from a Vertigo book, it doesn't say from the Vertigo comic book. It says from the DC comic book. No, it says Vertigo, doesn't it? I don't know. I don't watch. I, I don't watch any of the shows that come from Vertigo stuff. Didn't you watch Swamp Thing? Swamp Thing says from based in the DC Comics book, and it doesn't say based in the DC Vertigo book. It says DC mm. book. Now you know what? I'll have to watch Preacher over again and see. Ooh, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. <laughs> trying to avoid saying that, uh, but it would seem as though, in my opinion, that. It's it's a de- they feel it's a dead brand whoever it is at Warner DC whatever and it kind of is and it's their own fault they oh. let the brand die they let Vertigo die by letting all the people um, who were like the backbone of it the editors um, you know the, the 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 talent that was there creating and cultivating stuff um, they let them go and they weren't out there actively trying to find new talents. I think that's some of it. I think it's the contracts. I think, you know, being the soulless corporation behind everything, they were greedy. Like, why stay where I am and get less when, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a name or this or an upcomer and I could try for image or I could self publish. Like there was a time when the industry was different. Now everything's changed. So I really think there's a lot to do with the contracts. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing official, um, but there's a lot of discussion, and I wouldn't be surprised, but I would be sad. Right. I agree. Right. So 
moving off of the news, let's get into some of the conventions happening this weekend. Uh, there is the Duke City Comic Con in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, I only mention this one because Kevin Nash is going to be there. Super Shredder. Super Shredder, indeed. The Savannah Megacon in, I think, Savannah, Georgia. I don't want to get bit like I did last week, where it was like <laughs> Savannah somewhere else. <laughs> well, listen. Sadly, Savannah, your website no longer works, you're, so you're getting deducted from the show notes. I was only <laughs> mentioning them because Zach Galligan was there. Oh, No relation to Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> there is the Oz Comic Con in Melbourne, Australia, uh, which has... Nicholas Scott, Tom Taylor, and from the World Wrestling Entertainment, Carmella is going to be there. Don't know her. Mm -hmm. She does the five-minute dance break with current 24-7 champion, R-Truth. <laughs> okay. Learn more about that over on At Odds with Wrestling. Probably not. <laughs> uh, the All-Star Comic Con in Tyson Corner, Virginia. Uh, and again, I know a lot of that sounds made up. But Gail Simone, uh, Tom King, and Clay Mann are going to be there. So for a little time, I've never heard of no Tyson's Corner, Virginia. I'm sure someone will let me know how close it is to them uh, once this episode goes live. But Gail Simone, Tom King, Clay Mann, those are some heavy hitters, man. That's right. But the big convention of the weekend, Todd, is the Niagara Falls Comic Con in Niagara Falls. And I think it's on the New York side. It's not on the Canada side. Oh, it is on the Canada side. Oh, I don't know if I could talk about it now. No, I'm I'm gonna, I need a real ID to go there. That's right. So, <laughs> on on the media side of things, Todd. Yes. Christopher Lloyd. <gasps> Hokey dokie. Bruce Campbell. That guy with the chin. Who cares? Billy about D. Him? Williams. Oh, Billy D. Cole, forty-five, baby. Corey Feldman. Oh, one of the living Corey. Jerry Mathers. As the Beave. Martin Cove and Sensei Lawrence William Zabker are going to be there. Oh, okay. And almost as close as the double mark photo, Ted McGinley and Andy Burse are going to be there. Oh, my goodness. Uh-huh. Oh, Marcy Darcy. Now, on the World Wrestling Entertainment side, Sergeant Slaughter is going to be there. Mm -hmm, G.I. Joe guy. Road Warrior Animal is going to be there. Ah. Okay. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff is going to be there. Is he going to hit his gun with his hand? No, that's Mr. Perfect. How dare you? Is he going to do it? No, you could ask him. You might get caught in his giant Fu Manchu mustache that he has now. <laughs> okay. And at the very least, for a first time hitting the convention circuit on the comic book side that I've seen, jump in Jim Brunzel and be Brian Blair. The Killer Bees will be there. Oh, two and, B's or not two B's? That is if, the question. And if they don't have their masks there, I tell you, I'd ask for a refund. Oh. Uh, but I would be remiss, of course, on the comic book side of things. Uh, Jim Starlin's going to be there. Dale Keown is going to be there. John McRae. And as he rounds down his convention appearances, also George Perez is going to be there. Oh, boy. So this is... This is Fetish Con? No, stop it. It's not Fetish Con. <laughs> okay. That's in the that's deeper into the summer. Oh, way deeper. Cuz there's no convention I want to be at where people are wearing heavy amounts of leather and latex is during summer months. Mhm. Mm 
I hope it's somewhere cold. Oof. But the links to all of these conventions, of course, will be in the show notes, along with uh, links to soon to be named network.com at soon to be named network.tumblr.com, where all the shows in our network grouping of like minded individuals and so forth. Anytime those shows go live, you could find them there, or if anytime the folks from those shows appear on other shows, you could find them there as long as they remind me and then I put them up on the website. Shows such as, of course, this show, Long Box Heroes After Dark. Podvocacy, Wrestling on the Edge of Forever, Profane Arguments, and Puzzle Warriors 3. And, of course, they already got one plug, so we'll get another one here. At Odds with Wrestling, which is myself and Adam talking about the latest and not-so-greatest stuff going on in the world of sports and entertainment. Mm, good stuff. Can't wait to listen to that one. <laughs> I'll do my best not to mention your name this week. Oh, good. Then I get a break this week. So, going over to Digital Sales and Freebies, Todd. This is the longest the same freebies have been available uh, over on the Marvel side of things. Every, it used to be like every like three to four weeks, Marvel would cycle in some new free comics uh, mm-hmm. for different books. Usually with a theme, sometimes with a theme, sometimes not with a theme. Uh, but the books... Indestructible Hulk number one, Infinity Countdown number one, Killmonger number one, Shatterstar number one. Three of those four books are parts of miniseries that have been released in the last 12 months. So for them to be giving them away for free is a pretty big deal. But we're almost at like two months with those books being the freebies. They haven't switched them. Something's up. Somebody got fired from their job, or they need to hire me to cultivate those lists. Uh, both of them, yes. You could be like, you could be one of those Amalgam guys who's at both companies. Amalgam. Yes. What's, uh, what was the Amalgam uh, hero's name? Access? Yes, you could be the Access of Marvel and DC's digital sales. And uh, so those are the free books, of course, but on the sales side... Uh, DC Sale is a Jeff Johns spotlight, and hey, Jeff Johns has written a good comic book or two, uh, over at, uh, DC. He has books out, like Doomsday Clock and other stuff. Mm -mm. And Shazam! That's true. And if I had my druthers and I had the time to do so, I would go through that list to make sure everything was in there. But even I don't have that sort of time, and I'm a lazy, lazy man, Roger. But just taking a quick glimpse, I'm going to be very upset if Stars and Stripe is not going to be in here. Ooh, that full G- JSA run is in there. Ooh, that was a good run. Yeah, uh, no, awesome. Stars and Stripe is in there, as are the first three issues of the current ongoing Shazam book. And I would be remiss not to mention those books, only because DC these days are not putting their new books on any sort of sales. And anytime they come up in a sale, check them out. But... I don't know. Go go read some older stuff. Uh, I like Jeff Johns' older stuff more. Right. Even though they're announcing that Shazam, a couple of those new issues coming up are getting pushed back so he can get Doomsday Clock out on time, Joe. Mm-hmm. Save all your Doomsday Clock jokes for just a second or two. Hey, I'm getting them all. I'm just going to rapid fire them throughout the show. And it's it's not Dark Knight Returns or Batman Year One level, but this is at least the third time this year that I remember recommending uh, Flash 182, that Captain Cold solo story, mm-hmm. uh, being involved in a sale. So, uh, hey, that's a really good comic book. If you don't already own it, you should. 
because it's that good. Uh, but there are some other sales this weekend, Todd, and let me know if you notice a theme to these sales. I'll pay attention. All right, so there's an X-Men Start Here sale. There's an X-Men Sagas sale. It's not them crossing over with the Brian K. Vaughn, Fiona Staples book. And there's an X-Men Dark Phoenix sale. Hmm. I assume that these sales have a lot of redundancy and crossover. It's almost like there's something X-Men going on this week. And luckily, all three sales all end on exactly the same day. (gasps) Serendipity. I just feel as though you could have did maybe one sale. Call it Dark Phoenix is a movie coming out called that. And just have all these same books in the same sale. I don't know. I like it the way it is. It seems needlessly elaborate, Todd. Well, you'll fix that when you're in charge. Uh, listen, there seems to be an opening at uh, whoever curates the free books list. I, I don't even know how you would apply for that job, but just give it to me, I say. I'd say you'd be a great curator. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, people will get that. All right. I don't get nothing. So, one thing that I do get is the books that we read from this past week, Todd. Let's start with the book you were most looking forward to coming out this week, allegedly. Uh, Allegedly. Throwing shade at me already? I may have been complaining to someone that you lied about this this past week. I I could tell the way you you went when I said it. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) Mm-hmm. But, like I said last week, this is the last one of this, and the other book that we're going to mention... We still have two more to go that'll come out, you know, in two months and then two months. Right. Right. So this actually, because I I was discussing. It's currently on a three-month schedule. It'll come out two months. Anyway. Don't worry. I have have a ringtone maker. I can cut all this out. Um, But I chose Heroes in Crisis number nine of nine by the uh, aforementioned Tom King and Clay Mann on art. And the reason I picked this. Uh, was because basically we found out now that Wally was behind everything. It was an accident. But uh, as I was discussing with somebody, Wally was my flash for the longest time. I remember Barry, but Wally was it. And I want to see how this turns out. And we find out that Wally was the the person behind all the deaths accidentally. He ran in, into the, the future and killed himself and brought the body back so he could throw you know people off the trail and he was going to expose them and he had this big plan and this is is that and in the end uh harley quinn batgirl booster gold and blue beetle come back to try and stop everything and along the way we're seeing various confessions from tons and tons of superheroes um that up to this point i thought like throughout the book were past confessions that we've we're seeing but it looks like now that the story has changed kind of a kind of a deal that the the wally killing himself to do stuff isn't quite what we saw and now the the uh sanctuary is still going on and this some of the the confessions that we saw are current new confessions and uh basically uh they have stopped wally from from killing himself and he's going to take responsibility for everything and in the end it's very convoluted uh but i as i explained to somebody i love this story hated this story and only thought it was okay when it was all said and done i've never had more indifference about a book 
than I've had right now because I loved all the confessions. If Tom King just wanted to do a book of what was bothering various heroes in the DC universe, like their troubles on their mind, it was fantastic because seeing the various Robins all have the same complaint from a different view, fantastic. But like to solve the problem by having them like, oh, the, the body wasn't really Wally. It was a super fast clone of the dead body in the future. I really don't know what Tom King was doing here. And I, I don't know. I feel like this book got away from everything. I feel like that he had an interesting story about uh, uh, mental health issues and everybody can have them and everybody feels down and you're not alone. And there's even a message about that, that Wally was trying to get the word out there. So people wouldn't feel the way he did that heroes felt like this. That's why he leaked everything out. But I think it got too big and it became crisis. And I don't know. It, I, I really don't know what to think about this book. I know my, my review is all over the place, but I think it fits the narrative of this story, if that makes any sense. What did you think of all Okay. This? Overall, I don't think this story will be remembered six months from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how all the time with like some of those Marvel crossover things, and I think you put it uh, as succinctly as anyone could, that this got away from Tom King. Mm-hmm. The, the one that I kind of always point to is the Fear Itself miniseries. Which, or the Fear Itself uh, event, which was eight, nine years ago, maybe eight years ago, seven years ago, whatever it was, where it was supposed to be a Thor-Captain America crossover. And then all of a sudden it becomes this big giant event. Mm -hmm. And all the interviews with, I think it was at Fraction and Jason Aaron... Because I think there was a whole bunch. It was either Fraction and Jason Aaron or Brubaker and Jason Aaron. I can't remember for sure. Fraction was definitely in there. But all the interviews of it were them kind of convincing themselves that this story needed to be bigger. Jason Aaron wasn't on Thor back then. Okay. so It, it was Dan Jurgens. Right. But what I'm saying is it was like I, I, I thought Jason Aaron might have been involved. It was def- So it was Fraction and Brubaker. Mm-hmm. So that they were doing these interviews where it's like, oh, the story needed to be bigger, but it really felt like they were trying to convince themselves that it needed to be bigger. Right. And I think that's what happened here, that this was a story, as you mentioned, that Tom King wanted to talk about, you know, mental mental health issues in the superhero community and kind of painting it in a way. But as this issue has come out, more and more discussions with Tom King has come out where the beach is like an errant tweet or like a full-fledged, like, quote-unquote, exit interview about the story on how he didn't have as much say as what characters were to be used, um, the two issues being folded in, and then there's all that discussion about Lagoon Boy, which we're not going to really get into, where there was question of whether or not, okay, so if this was a mistake, it sure looks like in the book that Wally kills Lagoon Boy purposefully. Right. Doesn't he say, like, what are you doing here or something? Right. And then Tom King goes... Oh, no, that was supposed to be a part of the Speed Force reacting to Lagoon Boy being in there when he wasn't supposed to be. I guess I didn't write that one clear enough. That's on me. And I feel as though him saying that statement is what the poll quote from that would be on the cover of this trade would be is I didn't write this clear enough. That's on me. 
Yes. There's a lot of good moments in here, and there's a lot of good bits. As you mentioned, a lot of those confessional stuff are fun bits, interesting bits, where you get to know who a character is in the DC universe in, like, one panel or two panels when it's something like the fire and ice thing that you put up online, you know? Mm -hmm. But overall, I felt as though this this was uneven. It did more harm than good to a beloved character. And in six months, will be completely forgotten. So, sadly, you know, it really means nothing in the grand scheme of things. But right. it had a couple cool moments, a, a couple fun moments, a couple fun interactions with your Booster Golds and Blue Beetles, your Harley Quinns and Poison Ivies, and some of the other ancillary characters, as Todd mentioned, the Robin stuff, the Fire and Ice stuff. Right. And my big question is, like, is Booster fine now? Because, like, we see him at the end on the couch laughing with Ted, and I'm like, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm just not happy and happy and whatever with this book. So I have so many questions. Mm-hmm. Well, if you were going to that convention in Tyson's Corners, Virginia... You could ask Tom King yourself. I wonder if he's doing a panel there, and I wonder if this will be a topic of conversation. It might be. So the other book that we were uh, that we read from this past week is the much-awaited, much-delayed Doomsday Clock number 10. Right. So was it issue 8 or issue 7 where I said, like, this is a good issue number 1? It's been that long, I don't remember. It, I was definitely the uh, was it the the one where they go off to fight? Maybe it was nine. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I know the one you're talking about. Right. When you go to okay, there's eight. Yeah, yeah. So where is uh, Marionette and Mime? I don't know. They're in another another part of the story waiting for uh, them to come back around, I guess. Where's Rorschach? Where's the Joker? Where's all the stuff that happened in, like, the first six issues of this book? It's all going to come together in 11 and 12, Joe. Mm. You think so? Yeah. Okay. When it comes out right on time. This could have, should have been a four to six issue miniseries uh, written by uh, Jeff Johns with art by Gary Frank. Uh, But this issue is... Dr. Manhattan trying to figure out how there could be so many Superman's origins. Mm-hmm. And he tries to fix that. And by doing so, he kind of creates his own version of hypertime, if you remember hypertime. Yes. And makes things worse. Both for himself and for the greater whatever of the DC universe. Mm-hmm. So, as you have similar feelings that you liked Heroes in Crisis and didn't like it, you're happy and you're sad, I liked the idea of this, right? But I, f- I feel that this issue is an admission that the New 52 was a mistake. Oh, I totally agree. We've talked before many, many years ago on both this iteration of the podcast and the previous iteration of the podcast, Weekly Longbox, where it seemed as though if the New 52 completely fell off the rails, 
that they had a kill switch. Then in three to six months, whatever, they could implement something, and then by the time that story was done, everything would be back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. This is what I feel that is. I agree. Uh, Hypertime came out of the kingdom, right. which was them bringing uh, the kingdom come universe kind of to a front with the DC universe as we knew it post zero zero hour. And it was a Mark Wade story where he essentially said there is no pre-crisis, there is no post-crisis, there's hypertime. And hypertime essentially is every DC story that ever happened, Elseworlds, Golden Age, Silver Age, pre-crisis, post-crisis, all happened. We all just remember them differently, no matter who you are. And then they kind of ignored that for a very long time. And then a couple years ago, Grant Morrison did the Multiversity book, where he essentially said the same thing. And... His difference was that he included the Watchmen Earth as one of the Earths and the 52 Earths in the DC Universe. But nothing was done with those Watchmen characters until Rebirth. And now here we are. So this is essentially hypertime with the Watchmen characters. I don't know if we needed this story. Are you asking me or... I'm just saying to the world and to you. I don't, well, do we need any story, but yes, I, I look at it as DC needed the story. They want to get the Watchmen characters in their universe. So I, I know what you're saying. And this, and, the, and even like you're saying, like with the new 52 was a mistake. There's a great moment in the book where he says that he did some stuff and he touched and moved some stuff around and he, you know, he made this version of Superman and you see it's the new 52 version, like straight up. There's no red, you know, underwear on him. And he's like, I have altered the, the metaverse and in turn the multiverse one year ago, the metaverse became aware of my hubris. And it's like the hubris of wrecking the history of the DC universe kind of a thing. I, I, I get what you're saying. But I don't mind this story so much, but I agree that it's it's this is another one that seems to have gotten away from its writer. It's it didn't need to be twelve issues, but the only reason that it is twelve issues is because the original Watchmen was twelve issues. So we have to, you know, do we have to be that thing and we have to have the things in the back and we have to be just like it. But all in all, I actually kind of really enjoyed this story. Right. Like, and, and see, I don't I don't want you to uh Take that from me. I enjoyed this issue a lot. I've enjoyed the last three issues of Doomsday Clock, which makes me wonder what the previous six issues had to do with anything. And I know you're you're and I'm not joking, but I was tweaking a little bit. I'm hoping Jeff Johns is a good enough writer to like you're like, where is Rorschach? Where is Osmandius? Where is Batman? Where's the Joker? Where's, you know, all this stuff? Uh, It's got to come rolling back in, don't you think? I would certainly hope so. Well, with two issues left, and I want to see something here. Uh, these are four ninety nine comics, and I, I bet you they're a little like longer than the average comic. So we might have like an issue, two issues left. You might have like almost three issues with with a few extra pages when you go by regular three ninety nine comics. But uh, that's a lot of time to to hopefully work it back in, and I have faith. So I don't know. 
I, I, but I know what you're saying. It feels like we, we, we treaded water for way too long to get to the meat of this, which we're at now. I, I don't know. I, I hopefully we'll see when this all wraps up before December. Yeah. Before December. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that being said, like the last three issues of this and it's not so much as a spoiler per se, but I guess we're finally getting to what everyone has been kind of hoping was going to happen, which is the big fight. Mm-hmm. And this is with everyone realizing the big fight is coming. Right. So we got two issues to wrap up the big fight. Plus, at least seven other characters that we haven't seen in at least three to four issues. Right. If, if the, you know, but I, I agree that we need to see them, but I wondered if it's, we're just creating them out of the Watchmen universe so we can have them. Cause you know, Joe, nothing ends. It has to go on. And there's rumors of like, you know, Watchmen stuff coming out of this. Cause remember it never ends, Joe. Is it though? I have a feeling like I have a feeling that the 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 mime and and everything they're going to be big down the road like and I I'm not a fan of that cuz I like to see things end but everything's got to lead into the next thing so you'll buy it. Will I I'm not saying you will but Joe when did comics become a business? Uh well according to this uh both <laughs> 1939 uh mm-hmm. 1986 2011 and that other date as well right which i think was actually kind of fun because if you know anything about comic like there is a lot of in jokes and i don't mean in joke references throughout this that i thought were actually really cool like you know the 1986 revamp of superman with john Byrne. like it all makes sense and it's really clever but and i really actually like the story of the actor yes and you know it, it kind of it doesn't have the same thing as uh, the uh, comic, the pirate comic in the original Watchmen and the other stuff, but it kind of does. So I don't know. I, I think, you know, every once in a while, Copy and A get a C plus so far. Well, I think Copy and A get an A as long as you turn your work in on time. Ah. Depends That's on the... whose time. Mm. Hyper time. Ah. So that's what we read from this past week. Todd, let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them uh, in trade, hardcovers, mailed to your home, you wait for the digital editions, whatever it is that you do, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Uh, Todd, remind me tomorrow that I need to pick up a long box. I will. I was going to pick one up last week, but it was raining. Who wants to do that? Then your box gets all spotty. Who mm-hmm. wants this spotted box? Someone, right, someone left their long box out in the rain <laughs> next to a cake. <laughs> uh, so as we always do here, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Todd is in the lead with two correct guesses. My math has gotten a little fuzzy on this, so I'm just saying that Todd's in the lead at least with two. If anyone wants to go back and check my math over these last several episodes, you're a better person than I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, Looking at your list, Todd, 
I think you got a lot more books than I do. A lot of stuff coming out. I am going to take a shot and say the book you were most looking forward to coming out this week is Incredible Hulk Last Call, number one. It is Incredible Hulk Last Call. Whoa, because that's the Peter David. Dale, Dale, Dale Keown uh, taking us back to a story and, you know, the peak uh, Peter David run there. Yes. So I'm always a big fan of that. Your your books, I'm looking over your books, and there's a lot of good stuff on here. Mm-hmm. There are books that you would like, but the book I'm going to say you want, you were looking forward to most is Criminal Number Five. Criminal Criminal Number Five is correct. Yay! So no movement on the board. Uh, I will say this: uh, I can almost expect. Uh, included in these books next week is going to be a spoiler-filled discussion of Walking Dead number 192. I can't imagine why. Mm-hmm. Be wary out there if you have not read it yet as you're listening to this. I may uh, have perused it at the uh-huh. shop when I was pulling it for myself. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of spoilers out there, especially after the cliffhanger at the end of issue 191. Uh, be wary. Don't let someone ruin the book on you. And we'll give you uh, ample notice when we discuss that and the other books next week as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while we're uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, uh, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of After Dark, uh, the 2017 Smash Sensation, Todd and Joe Have Issues. You can click on the little store icon there and purchase shirts or stickers or pins to your heart's content with our fancy logo on them. If you want even more logos, whether it be the soon-to-be-named network logo, uh, different color shirts for the Longbox Heroes logo, uh, add-ons with wrestling-inspired themes, you can go to our T Public store and buy stuff there. We're on Patreon now. We've had a bunch of people sign up for the Patreon over the last week. Thank you very much for doing so. We greatly appreciate it. Hopefully you're enjoying that early access to uh, Longbox Heroes After Dark and the walk down memory lane of the three guys from nowhere episodes from 10 years ago, nine years ago, however long it is. Uh, hopefully we'll be adding more stuff to both the $1 levels and three uh, $5 levels somewhere <laughs> in the near future. And again, thank you very much for checking out the Patreon. Thank you, everyone. And... You can always support us. If uh, that subscription for the thing is not, is too much for you, you could do all of your regular purchasing through our Amazon click-through at the top of the page there at longboxheroes.com. We get a little bit of an advertising fee, is what they call it, for any purchase that you make through the site. And we had a ton of purchases this past week, Todd. Uh, someone is throwing a party because they purchased uh, variety packs of Pringles, uh, the Frito-Lay Funtime Mix, Cheez-Its, Cheetos, and Keebler Cookies. I think that's a kid's lunch right there. Mm. Well, school's over. Camp's starting, though. Camp is starting. That's true. Uh, Someone also uh, purchased Star Wars Adventures, Tales from Vader's Castle, uh, Usagi Yojimbo, Volume 8, Deadpool Cable, The Ultimate Collection, (laughs) <laughs> and Lego DC Superheroes Build Your Own Adventure, which is kind of like a little storybook Lego set thing, which is pretty neat, actually. I, I never saw those before. My kid's kind of out of Legos, but you never know when these kids are going to get back into them. 
That's right. The Legos have a powerful calling. That's true. And uh, I assume the same person purchased the following five, count them, one, two, three, four, five, Marvel Hasbro Legends figures, the cinematic version of Captain America, the cinematic version of Ronin, the Paul Rudd version of Ant-Man. It doesn't specifically say uh, cinematic, but it looks like uh, Paul Rudd. The cinematic version of The Wasp, and from X-Force and the X-Men, New Mutants, etc., Boom Boom. Whew. And I forget what she changed her name to in the next wave book, but it's not Boom Boom no more. It's something it's else. Probably a different Johnny Lee Hooker song. Yes. So again, a busy week over at the Amazon click-through, and we do thank you, everyone, for checking all of that stuff out. Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? Sadly, we did not. What? They're slacking, Joe. Slacking. Oh, boy. Careful the way you say that one. <laughs> that is. Yeah, I got to be careful. Certainly do. <laughs> um, I'm not even going to continue down that road. Um, I don't want to go down that road. I don't know if you're heading to some conventions or if you're a burgeoning artist yourself. Just make sure you uh, tag Todd's Art Attack in that. And, uh, you know, we'll share your artwork, whether self-made or purchased or commissioned or otherwise, with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that covers the main part of the show before we get into TV discussion, eh? Yes, I believe it. that does cover everything. So uh, if you have not watched uh, Swamp Thing, Good Omens, or you don't want to be spoiled with the season finale of Cloak and Dagger, we bid you adieu. Thank you very much for listening to episode 453 of Longbox Heroes. Catch you all here next week, and I'll take a second for everyone to skedaddle, and I'm going to take a sip of water. I tried not to do that into the microphone. Mission accomplished. All right. Look at the banner, Michael. Anyway, let's start, I say, with the old. And that is season finale of Cloak and Dagger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we lamented how they were going to wrap everything up in one episode. We felt as though there was a lot more than there actually was left to go. But... I think they did a very good job of wrapping everything up. I do, too. And I oh. bet you they even gave you what you wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, they did. Because we got uh, Cloak and Dagger in what I assume is going to be their superhero costumes. Uh, the Cloak looks like the Cloak, like it should, like it imagined in my head. And uh, Tandy is wearing kind of like a stylized version of her ballet outfit. What? We don't want the, the plunging neckline down to her belly button? Oh, well, I, I think no one thought that was going to be happening. I didn't think so either. And uh, she couldn't just show up in like some sort of like spandex outfit or some sort of whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So this works. I'm okay with this. Uh, so at the end of the previous episode, they thought that they had defeated Despair. But no, Despair has become bigger and he is now infecting the city. So they need to stop him by going into what they claim in the show notes is the Loa dimension. I'll still continue to call the Dark Force dimension because that's what it was in the comic books. And to do so, uh, they need to go into Tyrone's cloak. Uh, Evita needs to kind of like she does the voodoo thing since she's now the big voodoo person taking over uh, for her auntie. It's this whole thing where she 
reads the cards, tells them what they need to do, has this candle lit, and she needs to make sure that the candle does not blow out until they get back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then a whole bunch of people, shadow-type folks, start trying to stop this, and Detective O'Reilly shows up to help Evita keep Tandy and Tyrone safe in the Dark Force dimension on our side of things, and then the Dark Force dimension... Tandy and Tyrone are, I guess, faced with their greatest fears. Uh, essentially, a Tyrone who gave up, and Tandy uh, with her abusive father. I would say more it was a Tyrone who was who couldn't live up, to, who was trying to be perfect. The thing he would never achieve. That's what I gathered. Right, but to me, I feel uh, that it was him <laughs> giving up. It was doing what other people wanted him to do as opposed to what he wanted to do. Okay. So there's a little interpretation there, of course. That being said, I really like this episode. Cloak and Dagger is the unsung all-star of the Marvel TV universe. Right. Uh, I agree. And I would like to think in, you know, the, the Marvel universe that all these people disappearing for a little while just, you know, got played off as the snap from Thanos. <laughs> I thought that was really cool because he was taking in people. Despair was taking in random people and it was getting bigger and they were, were disappearing. But my favorite part of it was pretty much Tandy and Tyrone coming together to beat despair. And there's that great shot of like cloak using himself as a teleport for Tandy to get at despair. And to me, that might be the, my favorite shot of the last two seasons. That's so superhero-y. It's ridiculous. I just thought that was so cool. Yes, I agree. And that's another thing is they, it is a very special effects heavy show. Mm-hmm. But the special effects never look bad to me. No, because it's an easy effect to pull off. Right. They're not trying to hit, they're not trying to hit above their pay grade when it comes to the effects. Right. It's almost like she could just hold two, like, you know, light, like, like literally her light daggers look like something you would you would play with at a rave while you were high on ecstasy. So like, it's not hard to recreate that stuff now. It's not, you know, so like, yeah, she, she has later on, she has a larger dagger that she uses and stuff like that, but it's not crazy hard effects. And the cloak is just like a smoke, which, which they've perfected. And I don't know. I, I really, I really liked all that. Uh, and the fight with despair and how it all turned out. And I think that, like you said, the unsung, the unsung, uh, Marvel show. And I think it's the tightest of all the stories. So when it's all said and done, you don't feel like you had too much show. You wasted any time. I don't know. It's, I don't want to say it's perfect, a perfect show, but it's perfect in the way they pace things almost. Yes. If that makes any sense. Um, it's 10 episodes, uh, first season, second season, 10 episodes, and it definitely feels as though they get the most out of those 10 episodes. Very rarely have we, when talking about the show, have we said maybe once, twice at the absolute most, have we ever said in talking about the show that it felt like a filler episode. Right. There may have been like a character study thing where they spend an episode giving you Despair's origin, or, you know, Detective O'Reilly's origin, or a little bit of their backstory, or whatever it is, 
but it's important information. Right. For me at the most, it was the video game uh, aspect of it didn't work for that one episode, which I'm fine with. Because later, earlier when you would have the record store and all that, like some of that stuff is the most brilliant, like audio and visual stuff that I've seen in a, t- in a TV show lately. So mm. I'm, fi- I'm fine with all that. And I do like the way it wraps up in that, uh, you know, that there's, there's, it seems like hope that Tyrone's off the hook for the murders, or at least we're going down that path. And then through a series of events, uh, Tandy and Tyrone have come together from the fight in there. And I do like when they realize they have to trade partners and after, oh my God, shockingly work together to defeat the enemy. And they, they do. And now detective O'Reilly has given them a case somewhere else so they can leave town for a little while and go work on that. So they get on a bus and they go. Cause it was actually funny where you see Tandy get on the bus and I'm like, Oh, please don't tell me she's running from Tyrone. And you're waiting for Tyrone to poof in with the cloak because the seats next to her are empty. And he just gets on the bus, like, anticlimactically. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. And they realize, could we go off and do this? And I'm like, it's a great quick setup for season three or whatever they're going to do. And I do like that. They basically cover up the fact that uh, – that Tyrone's mother killed Connors. So I think we have ramifications from that too. Like I'm looking forward to season three, even though season two just ended. Right. I agree. Uh, I thought it was all very good. Mm-hmm. If you haven't checked it out, go check out. Uh... Cloak and dagger. Cloak and dagger. <laughs> so let's talk about Swamp Thing. Okay. Okay. Is- Swamp Thing is over on the DC uh, streaming DC University DC streaming service. Uh, so Abby Arcane comes back to the town in Louisiana, meets up with Alec Holland. There's something strange going on in the swamp. Yeah. If you know those names as a fan of Swamp Thing, you know where all this is going to go. Right. I. Liked this a lot. I enjoyed the special effects, even though sometimes these smaller special effects looked more dodgy than the big special effects. Okay. But where things kind of deviate a bit, of course, and there's all sorts of different tellings of these stories, but this is kind of like the framework, the fishbone, if you will, that if you're telling a Swamp Thing story, you have to have like these five things happen, right? Mm-hmm. There needs to be something going on in Swamp. There needs to be an Abby Arcane. There needs to be uh, Alec Holland. There needs to be an explosion. And then there needs to be uh, an antagonist, right? Right. A thing in the swamp, if you will. A thing in the swamp. <laughs> uh, this decides to go more of the route of an illness. And that there's people that it seems as though are trying to make the illness worse in the town for reasons. And I think a lot of that is being given away, which leads me to believe that it might be a red herring. I agree. Uh, But that being said, it's certainly pointing us in a direction that whoever this high muckety muck person in the town that we're led that we meet, who is the ex-husband of some other muckety muck who has a history with Abby, which is part of the reason why she left. And now that she's back in this town because she has a history with the family, 
we get information that she may have been involved with the death of their daughter. And I'm only and, saying may because I don't want to give away spoilers. And they're not divorced. Oh, okay. I thought I thought they were divorced. My no, and she's talking to Abby in the bar, which mm-hmm. is a great scene, by the way, where she's going like, you know what, when you were doing this, I was thinking about my daughter. When you were doing this, and before she sits down, they have the scene where, like, because Abby's flashing back to maybe what happened to this girl, and we're only getting hints of it, but the scene of the mother screaming at her, and then she's across the table right now, I thought that was some brilliant, like, like direction but she said when she was talking to abigail she said uh yeah well this happened and i crawled into a bottle and it wasn't until that my husband went to a divorce lawyer that we decided to fix things okay so she just said that he threatened me because at the meeting her husband goes like my lovely wife you know he doesn't say ex-wife i don't think if i'm remembering correctly so yeah i'm just you know correcting you on that gotcha gotcha uh, but again, we get a lot of familiar names in the Swamp Thing universe. Your Matt Cables, mm-hmm. uh, the hopefully not dearly departed uh, Vertigo universe with Madame Xanadu and stuff like that. Uh, I was wondering though when we were going to get the big catalyst. If how long they were going to draw things out, and uh, we get the big catalyst at the end. At the end of the third act, we get our explosion that sets. Alec Holland on his path to becoming the titular Swamp Thing. Right, the thing in the swamp, like I said. Uh, But my take on that is because they did it differently, it caught me off guard. Right. Because he, you know, in in every version of the story, he's always in the lab when it happens. Right, and I, I felt the way that they were setting things up, that there was a very good chance that we could have not gotten Swamp Thing for like two or three episodes. Exactly. And when it happened, like, and it didn't even go down the way, like, it goes a little different. I'm like, like, it happens, and I'm like, wait a minute. And then the explosion, I'm like, well, maybe he gets away. And like, nope. You're like, and now we have Swamp Thing. And I'm like, all right, you caught me off guard, but you stayed true to the elements of it, if you will, the elements or no pun intended, the elementals of it. Uh, I, I, so I really enjoyed what they did. I, I thought it was, and I thought it was genuinely sca- like, sca- I'm not a horror guy. So like you may be numb to all this stuff, but there's a couple of things that I, that I thought were very creepy. A couple of things that I actually jumped at. Um, and the, to me, the most, like the most horrific thing is when they were doing the autopsy in the, in the lab, and the body starts growing and doing yes. stuff. And it, it reminded me, and it might shock you that I've seen this movie, but a lot of that reminded me in a strange way of John Carpenter's The Thing. Absolutely. And, and I got that vibe, and I definitely think that's what the uh, creators were going for, 100%. And I thought that was great because, and it even like like snapped me back when the girl comes into The Thing because you forget that that's her father and that young girl has to see her father do it. I'm like, this is tr- like this scene is truly great horror to me. You know what I mean? Like, what you want to say about the rest of the episode, but this of a daughter seeing that and the way it looks and the effects and everything, I'm like, this is pretty good. And once again, like it's a person, a dead person, and uh, vegetable stuff, and a fire. It's almost like these things go together somehow, Joe. Would you say it's like poetry, so it rhymes? Right. So I'm like, I, I, I actually like. I don't know how, like, where you were on it, but I this is was way high for me. 
right. of like for a Swamp Thing show. Like this ticked all the boxes for me of what I wanted from a Swamp Thing show, and I didn't I didn't know that I would get it, but I did. And I like that they spoon fed you stuff in a way that wasn't insulting to people who know what's going to happen. As you just mentioned how like the vegetable stuff in the father and reanimates him and then tries to kind of approximate what the father does and feels when he sees the daughter. Mm -hmm. We know what that means as having read Swamp Thing before in many iterations, but if you've never read a Swamp Thing comic before, you may not understand that, but in three or four episodes, when we get that explanation and it comes back to that's why Alec Holland is now Swamp Thing, it all comes around. I feel as though this, so far, one episode in, is being handled very well. I'm just sad that they cut three episodes off it already. Well, again, it's made shorter for a worse ending. Is that the inverse of how that works? That is how the joke goes. Okay. Uh, So... I am going to let you, Todd, take point on Good Omens, since this is the show that we are doing per your request. Right. Which, it does have a slight comic theme, because it's written by Neil Gaiman, which it's based on the book that was written by my all-time favorite author, Terry Pratchett, and Neil Gaiman. They made this book in 1991. It came out in 1991, I believe. And so, Terry Pratchett has passed on. And that Neil Gaiman was brought on to to be the showrunner and write all the scripts. And basically, this is the story of Heaven and Hell, uh, basically starting, uh, kickstarting Armageddon with the Antichrist. And basically, the, the show starts out, we find a narrator discussing when Earth was made, uh, it's... You know, it was, you know, right out of the gate, they go straight for, you You have to con- commit to the bit. If there's uh, angels and demons, then Earth, there's no dinosaurs. Earth was created 6,000 years ago or four, like 4,000 BC. So God's telling you all the, 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 we find out God's the narrator going through all the things that what uh, astrological sign it has. I think that's all really cute to set up. The feel of the show, right out of the gate, you get it. And we cut to the very beginning of the Garden of Eden and that uh, Eve has eaten the apple because the snake has tempted her. And they get kicked out. And as they're leaving, we get to meet uh, Aziraphale. And he's Crawley at this point, um, who's the demon who was the snake that tempted them. And they end up having a discussion about how what they did like Crowley tempted them and as as Rafael gave them the the sword and helped them and they're trying to figure out if one did the good thing the good guy did the bad thing and the bad guy did the good thing whatever but they show right out of the gate here again that we have an angel and a demon who are already questioning everything which is not good in your line of work for a demon and angel and uh I think it's Martin not uh can't think of the names. The guy's name is the last name is Sheen and David Tennant, the famous tent doctor. The two seem to be the main characters throughout this. And we jump forward into the the future of uh, uh, to uh, eleven years ago, where now we're in a graveyard and two demons are waiting for someone to show up. And it's 
Crowley, not Crawley anymore, which will get explained down the line. But he's come and they end up discussing some fun stuff with like the the deeds, like how they're the old demons. And now we're finding out that David Tennant's character is a new uh, version. Like he's gone native, they also say. He's doesn't think the way they do. They're discussing like uh, uh, how like, oh, we've tempted a, a priest with a young girl and in 10 years we'll have him. And we've, you know, I've done this with a, with a politician and we did a bribe and now in two years we'll have him. And David Tennant's like, yeah, I, I shut down all the cell phones for, you know, in London. That's going to wreak havoc and the old, uh, the old demons don't get it. And they basically tell Crawley, here's the, the baby for the, uh, the Antichrist. You have to go deliver it. And you, you're in charge of all this. And he really, you could tell right off the bat, he doesn't want to do the, uh, the, the deed. He's, but he's like, yep, I'm all for king and country. Here I go. You know, I'm a demon and everything. And uh, at this point, the angel is getting word from John Hamm, uh, Gabriel, that they have to uh, that get ready for uh, the war because the Antichrist has been born. And he's not keen on it either because you can tell he doesn't like the idea of it. So they end up uh, taking the baby to the uh, nunnery, which is a satanic nunnery that we don't know, that they're going to give the baby to a, a diplomat's wife from America. But at the same time, there's a group, a a young couple of like from England that are going to have a baby at the same time. And the baby ends up getting switched through to me, a great scene of the God explaining what three card Monty is. And visually it's, uh, it's fantastic of like earth or baby, a baby B and the, uh, you know, the Antichrist, you have all these names and the they show like somebody playing three card money, doing magic tricks and stuff like that. And I, uh, you know, Crowley gets the the baby and he takes it to the wrong room because he meets young on the way in. And there's a big uh, freeze company miscommunications uh, right off the bat. Um, am I doing pretty well so far, Joe? Yes. All right. Anything you want to jump in just so I'm not nope. walking over you? Okay. Um so, uh, you know, he takes it and they end up switching babies. And I like the idea of, uh, the youngs get the, the, uh, the, the antichrist, their baby goes to the Dowlings, which is the ambassador's wife. And then they just, they hit that. Yeah. We're all just going to wish that this third superfluous baby has a good life but you know hopefully he gets awards for having like you know winning you know fish aquarium stuff and you're like oh no that baby things didn't go well for that baby um but just i don't think even in the book we ever see uh whatever happens to that so i i do kind of enjoy that but uh so now crowley and as as a fell as rafael i always get to i'm just calling him as from here on out um call each other up and we find out that they know each other from the old days and like from the beginning and they've been maybe acquaintances all this time. And they discuss like Crowley's trying to get him to help stop it. He's like, no, I kind of have to kind of have to do the the good thing. So they get drunk and and discuss all the things that are going to disappear if it happens. And he starts tweaking as is, 
soft points. He's like, yeah, well, you'll never have dinner in a fancy restaurant that people know you. You'll never do this. There won't be any good musicians because all the good musicians are in hell. And, you know, like you'll, you, there won't be any more books. And as owns a, a bookshop, which is basically, you can kind of tell is more like his collection of stuff. And now he's starting to work on them and he ends up telling him, well, maybe, you know, this is the, the antichrist is bad, but if you stop this plot, isn't that what your side should be doing? And he's like, well, when you kind of put it that way, that seems pretty good. So they come up with this plan that they're both going to, uh, mentor the baby throughout their life. And if we show him equal amounts of good and equal amounts of bad, he will end up being normal and, uh, he will, you know, won't be the Antichrist starting the, the war and everything like that for Armageddon. Uh, but they, like, they don't realize that they have the wrong kid. So they're going to Warlock instead of Adam's house. They named the Antichrist Adam and Warlock is, is this kid. And they go and they spend the next 11 years being his mentor. Uh, Crowley's the nanny. And uh, as is his gardener, who he's fantastic as the gardener, um, you know, with the makeup and the wigs and everything. Uh, well, he actually changes his appearance, I think. And they end up doing both things. They show how the, he's good and they're bad trying to influence him. And then on his 11th birthday, everything's ready. They're going to send the hellhound to meet him. And this will what kickstart uh, Armageddon. So they're like, well, hopefully we did enough that he'll turn the dog away and everything will be fine. But on the 11th birthday, they're waiting and the hellhound never shows up. And that's when they realize they have the wrong kid that the 11 years they've been wasting their time. And, uh, the dog has gone to Adam in a small town in, in, in Tadfield in, in England. And he ends up getting the dog and not name by naming it. It's what it will become and will give him his powers but instead of naming it like Throat Ripper or the, you know, Hellhound or whatever, he names it just Dog and it becomes this cute little dog. But in so, he gives himself powers. And now we have to figure out what's going to happen because the, the angel and the demon still want to stop Armageddon, but they don't know where the, the, the Antichrist is. And that's when the credits roll for the first episode. Okay, so... So I had you take point of this, obviously, since you're more familiar with the source material on this. Right. I have no, I had nothing, I knew nothing going into this other than that there was a doctor of some kind in this. Right. Okay. And I knew there was a guy wearing black, there was a guy wearing white, certainly seems like it's going to be an angel and a demon. Let's get into it from here, right? So I go into this with no preconceived notions whatsoever. I'm also guessing that you've watched the entirety of this. Is that correct? Yes, I have. Okay, so I only got a chance to watch the one episode. I'll do my best to watch a little bit more so that we're not so inundated uh, in two weeks when we have Krypton on top of Swamp Thing as well. Uh, I will say I enjoyed this quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought the performances were good. Um, it didn't look like a TV show, if that makes any sense. It looked more like a British TV show. Mm -hmm. um, now, I ask you, Todd... So far and going forward, are we close to the source material? How far have we strayed from the source material at this point? 
Right now, and I went back and I've read the first 50 pages of the book again, mm-hmm. and for, we are spot on to the source material, like actually down to like lines taken from the book. There are, there are some changes in that characters in the book at this point have already shown up, but they're not here because we're giving you the two main uh, characters, you know what I mean? The uh, Crowley and as so that, you know what I mean? Other than that, they have made some changes and I watched the whole show and there are changes to other characters and there's like variances and stuff. But as of the first episode, they've steal whole cloth, like, things and they even play like i see things that are in the book that you will never understand because they never explain but i'm laughing because it was in the book if that makes any sense yes like there's a scene where uh they're at the park and they come out and crowley's car is getting a ticket and it has this the, the lock on the wheel and they get in and as they drive away you're like, wait a minute, they just drove away from the lock. Well, obviously, because they're magical. And the cops, the cops uh, ticket, uh, whatever you want to call it, that he writes the tickets and just bursts into flames. From the book, as the book goes on, they would, Crowley and, and as, as would argue over whether or not heaven or hell created certain things. And they both kind of figured heaven hell created thought that heaven created parking tickets because it was a way to keep people in line. And heaven thought hell created parking tickets because they were a way to punish people and make them miserable. And it's just, it's just a cute little thing where I'm like, I remember that scene, but it's never explained. So like, there are like a dozen of those in the first episode that I'm like, Oh, I wish they went there. I wish they did that. Or I wish they did this, but it's enough to me. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yes. So, but you, you generally enjoyed it. Yes, uh, I did. Um, as you mentioned, it's a premise that could be very complicated, mm-hmm. but they set the tone very early on. Uh, there's the whole scene with the, you know, and again, uh, the comedy of errors, Three Stooges, uh, Three's Company, mm-hmm. uh, th- more Three's Company misunderstandings. Um, what is it? Uh, what's the verbiage I want to use? Um uh, series of misunderstandings, if you will, right. to mix up the babies, and then you get these two characters, the angel and the demon, that are very, it's very clear that they're friends mm-hmm. or friendly with each other, and kind of them setting up that they wasted eleven years of their life on the wrong kid, and now the show begins. Exactly, and I just wanted to get because I, for me, there were some standout moments. Like when they're sitting on the bench and they realize that they have to go to the birthday party because the hellhound's coming. And you see uh, as like, oh, I'll be the magician at the thing. And he's doing the, the crappy magic with the coin and just Crowley's insulted by the cheap ma- magic that he's doing. But he is so happy to do it. There is so much of that throughout the series of the, of the angel just being innocent but goofy innocent but it plays well and i just i i just find it fascinating i thought tenant was going to be the breakout character for me uh just because i'm a big fan but but man the angel is just cracking me up his uh naivete if you will is fantastic 
So I say this to you, Todd. Mm-hmm. I see the angel character who who you're you're taking to call just as as right right because I uh, know what it is, but every time I try to say it, I mum I stumble over the word right. So the whole time I'm watching this, I'm distracted by him. I know him from somewhere. Mm-hmm. I know him from something. I can't quite put my finger on it. And he's had a lot of big roles uh, in big things. Uh, He was in all those terrible Tim Burton, uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland things. Uh, He's been in uh, Frost Nixon. He's been in The Voice. He's been in all of these things, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm like, no, that's not it. Those are not things that I watch. And then I finally figured it out, Todd. Wesley Snipes. What? In 30 Rock, he played the guy that Liz Lemon was going to settle for. A bumbling, out-of-place loser who, if it wasn't for her meeting Matt Damon, she would sadly end the spend the rest of her life with this guy. And he was... The funniest, most annoying character on a sitcom in the history of the world. Okay. And his character name on the show was Wesley Snipes. Like the actor. And he goes, and he says, oh yes, you're thinking of the more popular name, but when you think of the name Wesley Snipes, do you picture him or do you picture this? Oh boy. Right, so... The whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, this is just a 30 Rock skit, the whole thing. Because he is a really good actor, and I think he is really good in this. I think uh, David Tennant is really good in this. Uh, I think getting Francis McDormand as the narrator is very inspired casting. Uh, and I look forward to watching more of this as the weeks uh, come on. I, I I make no promises to be able to watch more than one more episode between now and then, but I certainly will do my best to watch more between now and then. Right. And I just have one last question for you, because I know we're we're running on this. But what do you think of the writing? Because, like, a lot of the lines are straight out used from, like, the book, which I'm fascinated by. Like, one of them, like, when the hellhound shows up, and before it turns into the dog, they're like, he's the type, he's like a long, like, you know, murderous dog. And he's the type of... It's the it's the type of growl that it has the type of growl that starts it deep in its throat and ends in someone else's. And I'm like, like, I just I always loved like Terry Pratchett's work. And a lot of the book is is more Terry than Neil. People don't realize that. But uh, so I'm just wondering if it if it's like good hip dialogue, because I know a lot of it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know, it's good and hip. Okay. Just <laughs> no, it was it, it was good. I thought it was good. Okay. Like I said, it felt more British than anything else, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, yes, very much so. Good good to know. I'm glad I turned you on to something halfway decent. Right. For the first time. For the first time. Did I turn you on to preacher? Uh yeah, a lot of other things. Oh, first, good. uh what have you done for me lately? Good omens. All right. <laughs> 
All right. So um, we'll be more Good Omens talk next week. There'll be more Swamp Thing talk next week. And, of course, comic book stuff as well. Was there anything else we needed to do before we put a big bow on this week's episode? No, I think we're good. All right. So for Todd, this is Joe closing out episode 453 of Longbox Heroes saying thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Ooh!